What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 93 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. My name is Josh Cannon. The date is Wednesday, January, February, March, April, May, May 9th, 2018. I had to do that shit last podcast, too, where I had to count, because, like, I don't know, man. I can't just look at the number on the date and be like, okay, that's May, or that's March, or that's whatever. Anyway, enough about my... um clearly underqualified nature to even do a podcast. I'm here with Mike Brown, my co-host. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty great, actually. Um, Things are doing way better in my personal life and uh, got my grades back for this term, uh, spring term at WCU and passed all my classes. Uh, I got an A- in foreign film, a B-plus in creative nonfiction, a B in DTC 201, and a B in technical writing. So I I, I think that's pretty impressive considering everything I was dealing with on top of all of that, plus a heavier load than what I was used to. So um, I'm I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to fall term because my schedule is so much more wide open. Like I have like a couple classes on Friday, one online class, and a class in the evening on Tuesday. So I have Mondays off, Tuesdays off, Wednesdays off, whole weekend, you know, Thursdays off, the whole weekend. So cool. Well, yeah, that's one thing about life, you know, like the more you take on, the more you kind of see what you're made of. If you shy away from taking on too much in life, your entire life then you're I don't think you're going to grow as much and you're just going to limit yourself and be like, oh, I can't do that because I have all this other stuff. But you'd be surprised how much you can actually take on if you uh, really put your mind to it. I'm going to be taking on a lot this summer. Like you think like, oh, it's summer. You're not you're not going to school. Like, no, I'm going to be working on writing my book about the horror films of the 1980s. So that's watching three to four movies a day and writing about them. So um, there's over 70 from the, the year 1980 alone. I've watched a few already, and I'm not going to rewatch some of the ones I already watched and wrote about. I'm just rearranging what I already wrote. So it's going to be one of those things that, yeah, I'm going to be working on that. And then there's another project my dad wants me to do in terms of video edit. And then, of course, keeping up on the podcast and everything, which is it, which is good. So it's th- I'm gonna I'm gonna be keeping myself busy for sure. Do you sure. think you're gonna get just sick of movies by the end of this book? I don't know. I I, I mean I'm really passionate about it, so I, I think there will be some f- moments where I'll be like, uh, and I'll take a break and I'll watch some other type of film or watch a TV series or something, you know, completely. Yeah. So I'm not just constantly watching '80s horror movies like that. That could. Well, that would get old after. I a while. know for me, like I have to take a break from unsolved mysteries, you know, like to keep it fresh, you know, for me. Well, like, that's what I've been doing. I've been savoring the Amazon episodes. Like I'm just now finishing season three, so I've been savoring them, and and I'll, I'm going to watch a lot more of them now because I I have nothing but free time now. That's cool. So. That's good. Yeah, that's cool. I've been um, I'm I'm. Uh, my keyboard player slash singer, uh, backup vocalist Stephanie. She, she's, we're trying to get her up to speed with uh-huh. the uh, music because we want to start touring and playing out outside of of our hometown, obviously. And um, 
So she's practicing that stuff. That's going to take a while. So in the meantime, I thought, well, fuck it. I'll go ahead and shoot another music video. So we're actually going to do a video for Enjoy the Silence, our cover of that song. And oh, cool. I was trying to scout like creepy locations in my city where I could shoot because I want to, you know, be kind of like a desolate type industrial looking kind of background backdrop for the music video, like dystopian, maybe, dare I say. Um, and, and I actually found like my my DJ, my karaoke DJ boss, Keith, he has this creepy ass. His in-laws have this creepy ass abandoned house that they own, but it, they're, it's under renovation, but it's like pretty much ours to just go in there and do what we want with. So um, I've started a satanic cult, and now we do our rituals in that house. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, I, I wasn't... Does Stephanie do her rituals uh, wearing a negligee in front of a uh, picture of Bathomet? No, she's more of a um, like black, like long black, like Darth Sidious robe kind of oh, person. So more like the Son of Sam uh, cultist. Yeah. Like, we weren't going to okay. start a satanic cult, but, you know, <laughs> if you have an abandoned, like, trashed house, you, you kind of have to. You you <laughs> you either have to start, like, a heroin house or, like, a satanic cult, like, with an abandoned yeah, house. Yeah, it's, Those it's are the an only obligation. Two yeah. It, it, it should be in, it's probably in the contract you know, when you sign to... Well, it's in Florida state law. It says any derelict houses <laughs> must be occupied by satanists or heroin addicts within 28 <laughs> days of the original owner moving out, so actually florida law so but anyway uh this is a podcast about unsolved mysteries uh get some plugs out of the way here if you want to support us on patreon it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries you'll get the podcast early and a few other goodies in there mike just posted something on there yesterday i think some uh scans yep. of robert stack from uh the mad magazine where they do like this uh this little comic about them which uh yeah they do a parody of unsolved mysteries yeah it's entertaining you should uh become a patreon so you can check that out um you, you can um, join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com. Well, I don't know what the URL is. Just go to Facebook and go to the group section <laughs> and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. I love it. I love our group, man. It's so cool that, like, there's this, like, flourishing community of people who are all fans of Unsolved Mysteries and other mysteries in general. And it's all, like, something we started, you know? I, I just, I, yeah. I love that group. It's awesome. It's, like, one of the coolest groups I've ever been in, and it's our group. Because every other group you join, there's like this clicky nature, and there's... Oh, trust me, I know all about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you do. Mike's had some bad experiences with Facebook groups in the past. But yeah, oh, ours isn't like that at all. There's no clicks, there's none of that bullshit. As long as you're polite to people, then you are you're you can talk about what whatever you want. Um, so yeah, that's join that group. So let's get into our first mystery, which is one Mike chose off of Unsolved Mysteries. One of their final appeal segments, which I really like those. They're really underrated uh, yeah. segments, and none of them, I, I don't believe, were on the Ultimate Collection. If they were, they were filed under Bizarre Murders. But yeah, I don't... and a lot of the final appeal segments don't end up in a good place. Like, they don't, they don't end well. <laughs> Uh, usually a lot of them end with the person not getting another trial or just stuck in prison or whatever. And there's a few where they do get another trial and get released. And this is one of the ones that is uh, the latter. It, it's it's uh, where they do end up getting released. Like, there actually is something that's done and the injustice is undone. Uh, this is the case of Patty Stallings. And this is one I had known about before because I'd seen the Forensic Files episode before I saw the Unsolved Mystery segment. 
Uh, I always knew about the, this case because I remember watching the Forensic Files episode with my mom when I was younger and just being shocked by what had happened. And the Unsolved Mystery segment uh, adds even more, and it has that typical just Unsolved Mysteries vibe to it and tone and just takes it to a whole other level, especially the reenactments. I thought the actors uh, who portrayed the Stallings were phenomenal. They really were, especially the actress who played Patty. It was some of the better acting I've seen in terms of uh, Unsolved Mysteries segment. Uh, it was one of those things where this was professional type of acting. This wasn't like the type of acting that people make fun of the show for. Like this was quality acting. This is a lot of the stuff that's characteristic of the earlier seasons of Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, it's it's just for some reason it's weird because a lot of a lot of shows start out rough and then they get good as they go along. I feel like with Unsolved Mysteries, it was kind of the opposite. Like it yeah, start- the first three or four seasons, yeah, yeah, it started out really good and 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 it remained good in my opinion. But the later seasons, you can you can see a change, but there. But Unsolved Mysteries, it, it always boils down to the stories. So if there's a good yes. story, it's going to be a good episode. And, well, yeah, you know. and this is a great story. Yeah. This really is. Uh, it, it's a classic case of injustice. Uh, someone who's convicted of a crime that they did not commit. And a justice system and that is just really so gung-ho about getting a conviction. They don't really do their homework. And then also... Uh, it shows you that forensics isn't always 100% ironclad. Like, sometimes they're wrong. So on July 9th, 1989, in St. Louis, Missouri, a young mother rushed her critically ill baby to the hospital. The baby was three-month-old Ryan Stallings. Since birth, Ryan had suffered from chronic gastric distress. On the day Ryan was brought to the emergency room, his breathing had become labored, and he was vomiting uncontrollably. According to his father, David, Ryan was immediately placed in the pediatric intensive care unit. He's quoted here. It was just a shock to see a little baby incapacitated the way he was. It was to the point where they said, well, they don't know how long he's going to be here. We don't know what's wrong with him yet. So you may as well just go to the waiting room and stay out there until we can tell you what's wrong. David and Patty Stallings rented a hospital room to be near their son. After three agonizing days, the Stallings returned. They learned that Ryan would recover. The diagnosis, however, was shocking. Ryan had been poisoned. Patty Stallings was annoyed that authorities immediately considered her a suspect. But if you knew about procedure, that that would be the first person that they would probably look for. You know, they will look at is her and her husband. Yeah. That's just how it is. Which, with, by the uh, way, procedures. Her husband. Um he looks a lot. He reminds me a lot of David Duchovny for some reason. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. She's quoted here. They were polite yet suspicious. They would not allow us to see Ryan alone. There would have there would have to be two nurses or a doctor present. We were never allowed to be at his bedside alone. That that bothered me, but I still didn't understand because I wasn't looking at it the way that they were. I guess. The same day. The police were brought in to investigate. According to Patty, detectives interviewed her husband in a separate room. We were split up and talked to by detectives. They immediately started asking me, is there a problem at home? Are you and David fighting? They were saying that they knew that the baby had been poisoned by either me or my husband. It infuriated me. And I was just, I was devastated. I was blown away. Ryan was my world. He was perfect. 
Ryan's condition improved, and after 12 days, he was released from the hospital, but not to the custody of his parents. Patty and David's contact with Ryan was severely restricted. According to Patty, they were allowed only a one-hour visit each week on Thursdays. I just could not wait till Thursday. I would tell everybody over and over again how last Thursday went. That was, that was my life. The parental visits continued for five weeks. During the sixth visit, Patty was left alone with Ryan a short time. Three days later, Ryan suffered another severe attack of vomiting. Once again, he was rushed to the hospital. And once again, the diagnosis was poisoning. Authorities came to Patty's house with an arrest warrant. We were getting out of the car and they said, stop right there. I turned around and I was like, come on into the house. And they said, you're not allowed to go into the house. And then they immediately slapped handcuffs on me and said, you're under arrest for assault. Patty Stallings was arrested and charged with assault. While Patty languished in jail, her son was dying. Ryan was placed on the life support systems and David Stallings found himself trapped in a private hell. I felt so much for this this family, uh, not only for Patricia, but also for her husband. Can you imagine going through all of that? You're, you're dealing with your son is dying. Your your wife is in prison. Yeah, that, it, that's just... On top of that, knowing in your heart of hearts that, that, er, that nobody did anything wrong here. Exactly. And like everything is just going to shit. And yeah, I mean, it would be like, I would just be like, there. there's no way this is really my life right now. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way this is all actually really happening. It would be like just, a surreal you, moment. Yeah, you just feel completely, utterly helpless. And uh, the interview they do with David here, I'm just getting choked up thinking about it because I, the, 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 you could definitely see the emotion and feel the emotion when you watched this interview, like this is one of those segments, like if you can't get a little bit choked up watching it, I I, I think you're not human. I think you might be a robot. (laughs) Yeah. So he's quoted here. The doctors come up and they tell me that they have a feeling that Ryan's not going to make it. And maybe I should contact the minister and have him baptized. I tried to get Patty up there and all I got from the judge was no, absolutely not. I'm not going to let a baby killer up there. Mm. That that just pissed me off. Brushing mm, 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 mm. to I judgment. S- yeah, exactly. I said, this lady did not kill this baby. And when they finally came back to me and told me that we need to know if we can turn them off, I told them, go ahead and shut the machine down. But I wanted to be in there with him. So for three hours, I sat there with him in my arms, knowing that Patty couldn't be there, watching this meter on the machine go down, each time that his heart would beat. On September 7th, 1989, Ryan Stallings died. He was not yet six months old. His mother, Patty, was now charged with first-degree murder and held without bail. She was not allowed to attend Ryan's funeral. A few weeks later, Patty discovered she was pregnant again. Six months later, David Stallings Jr. was born. Even though David Sr. was not a suspect, he was not allowed to take his son home. The baby was placed in foster care. Ironically, this devastating blow would turn out to be a stroke of good luck. Without it, Patty and David David Stallings might have been accused of poisoning their second son. When David Stallings Jr. was two weeks old, he began to exhibit symptoms identical to the ones that had plagued his brother Ryan. This time, the diagnosis was different. David Jr. had a rare genetic disorder, called MMA, in which the body produces chemical byproducts 
that are similar to the chemicals found in antifreeze. Unsolved Mysteries contacted an independent medical expert about MMA. It would be very simple to confuse the diagnosis of MMA with multiple poisonings because the symptoms are very similar. But more importantly than that, MMA and other similar disorders are very rare, and the majority of doctors either will have never seen a case, or if they have seen a case, didn't know that they saw it and actually confused it. While prosecutors evaluated the medical evidence, Patty Stallings was, er was released from jail. Erased from jail. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting way to get somebody out of jail. Um, so she was released from jail. However, Patty was still denied visitation rights with her newborn son. I thought it was over, as far as the nightmare of being accused of hurting Ryan. I was positive because even my lawyer said it was over. There was no way that they could not see the truth right in front of their eyes. Yet local officials continued to pursue Ryan's case. Their position was that Ryan Stallings had not died from MMA. In the judge's chambers, they cited four expert witnesses. The judge refused to allow the diagnosis of David Jr. presented to the jury. George McElroy was the prosecuting attorney in the case. Now, that that whole thing, we're like, well, we're not going to allow it. That that just that really just stuck in my craw. I'm like, why not? Why wouldn't you allow? Yeah, that, that, the reason why is because you want a conviction. Right, you've already made your it's mind up. It's all about up, winning. Yeah. It's all about winning. Yep. With the prosecution, they want to win. They want to put another notch on uh, their chalkboard or, or on their scoreboard. That's what they want to do. Like all the evidence that was withheld that, that the jury wasn't allowed to hear in the West Memphis 3 case. Yes. You know, that, that could have made all the difference. Exactly. So um, these small towns, man, I'm telling you, they already have they make up their uh -huh. minds. They rush to judgment. They did. Remember, I'm not we're not going to let a baby killer out, you know. Right, dude. It's these small <laughs> fuck small towns, man. I fucking hate small <laughs> town justice. Like there is no justice in small towns. It's a, just have a T-shirt that says fuck small towns. <laughs> fuck small town justice. It's 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 all bias. Fuck small town justice. Yeah. Like we've already made our mind up before hearing the facts. You know, we're good old boys. If you went to our church and if you're friends with the judge, then we, you know, you might be able to do all right. I mean, it's fuck all that shit. Yeah. It's, it's bullshit. It's definitely a corruption of the justice system for sure. Now, George McElroy in this segment is, is portrayed as kind of a ass <laughs> because of how uh, gung ho and determined he is that he's right. Uh, in terms of uh, it, it, the prosecution and and his uh, and the findings and the ultimate result of the case, uh, the verdict. What's interesting is in the forensic files episode, which I'll I'll speak more of uh, after we talk about the unsolved mystery segment. He's portrayed in a more balanced way, like he even shows humility and and apologizes and said he was sorry. But there's none of that really here, except for like, I think there's like an update segment where he kind of does that a little bit. But in the interview, he just comes across as a typical hard ass prosecutor. We were concerned that if it came out that David Jr. or Ryan, for that matter, had this methyl melonic acidosis, unless it could be shown that he actually died of that or it was some kind of contributing factor to his death. We believe that that would not be relevant and in fact might cause a jury to go off on a wild goose chase and make a decision based on something that's not really relevant. How is that not relevant to this case? I'm just, I don't, 
the logic just because they decided it wasn't relevant me. you know they they, yeah. they decide you know they're it, it's it's totally uh subjective you know their yeah. determination of the relevance it's totally subjective they felt it wasn't relevant so they said it wasn't relevant you know and yeah. again Without the medical testimony, the case against Patty seemed airtight. The prosecution focused on the events of Thursday, August 31st, 1989, Patty and David's sixth parental visits with Ryan. It was on that night, it was on that visit, that David's parents were invited for the first time. About 20 minutes into the visit, my mom and dad decided to leave. Patty and I had the rest of the time with him. I escorted my mom and dad out, and I walked down to the hall. I was out of the room no more than 45 seconds at most. But according to George McElroy, Patty was alone with David anywhere from three minutes to eight minutes. How, how, how is that proven? I'm a, honestly, I'm going to take the word of the guy who is there over somebody who's just making conjecture. Like where, where, where was the prosecuting attorney getting this from? Like who was giving him that information? Is he just assuming that it was three minutes, eight minutes? So he's quoted here. He says, during that time, she did actually feed the child a bottle. The child again got the same symptoms it had before, came back into the hospital, was diagnosed with ethylene glycol poisoning. But the state believes and certainly circumstantial evidence suggests that she slipped ethylene glycol or antifreeze into the bottle during that feeding. Even, even with all of this, okay. Even if you find traces of ethylene glycol in the bottle or whatever, like how much was in there? I, I remember seeing something on forensic files where like it has you have to have a considerable amount of ethylene glycol in order to kill somebody or make somebody really sick. So th 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 was there any way to really determine how much was in there? Whether or not there was really any in there to begin with, are there other things that might be used to clean the bottle that might have ethylene glycol in them? Not when you already have your mind made up. Yeah. So, however, David Stallings disagreed that his wife fed the newborn, their newborn son while she was alone. That's incorrect. What happened was I walked back to the cubby hole where Patty was with Ryan. He started getting a little cranky, so I reached into the bag, took the bottle out, and started feeding him. I saw the bottle. I did not see any discoloration in the bottle whatsoever. There was nothing done to that bottle. Absolutely nothing. But the jury sided with the prosecution, and on March 4th, 1991, Patty Stallings was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Each visit with her son was limited to one hour. David Stallings Sr. was allowed to see his son once a week. Now... Forensic Files also mentioned a, a bit of information uh, that I thought was pretty crazy. When that verdict was uh, issued, David collapsed. Yeah, like and they actually, had, they actually had like video footage of like yeah. him in the stretcher being put into the ambulance. Yeah, he collapsed uh, uh, out of shock and was taken to the hospital. And he's quoted here, he says, I cannot see how they can live with themselves, knowing that they sent an innocent woman to jail for the rest of her life for something that she didn't do. If Ryan would have been correctly diagnosed with MMA, none of this would have happened. None of these series of events in the last two years would have happened. It all depended on whether he was correctly diagnosed, which he was not. And there is an update, because shortly after the story aired, doctors from all over the county, all over the country, 
called to say that they were familiar with MMA. Dr. Piero Ronaldo, a renowned scientist from Yale University, even performed tests that confirmed that MMA was the cause of Ryan's death. Consequently, the prosecuting attorney dropped all charges against Patty Stallings, and David Stallings Jr. was finally allowed to come yeah, home. Yeah, um, I will say, because I watched both The Forensic Files and The Unsolved Mysteries, and the, you really should watch both if you're interested in this yes. case. Plus, The Forensic Files is available on YouTube. That yes, you, it is. For free. You can just watch it if you have internet. It's called... Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what episode it's called. It's called Deadly Something. Anyway, the Forensic Files adds like the science and the, yes. the a lot of the facts to the case. And the Unsolved Mysteries segment adds like the heart and the humanity and they actually gave unsolved mysteries you know their interview like the parents um they weren't they didn't appear on the forensic files one at all but um they were in all up in the unsolved mysteries and um yeah i mean patty sued well they they mentioned some stuff in the forensic files segment unsolved mysteries didn't really mention how when she was first accused of assault uh the the police came in and searched through her house and they found uh antifreeze that was in uh, a box underneath a pool table and i love how they automatically just assume well there it's half empty therefore it was used to poison the kid it's like what he, he the, the father said he was working on an engine or something so i'm like he probably used it for that. This is, I mean, this is where I feel like the science of cases is like this double-edged sword because it's like they ran this specific test, this specific kind of test that gave them a result that, in reality, wasn't the only thing that it could have been. It wasn't the only variable, but they took it as the only thing it could be exactly. and the only variable. And that's the problem with a lot of scientific stuff is that they these scientific tests will yield results that there are many conclusions to be drawn from it. But the problem with human error is they only draw the one specific conclusion because turns out there's this crazy illness MMA, which is short for whatever the fuck, but um, yeah. it causes it, uh, methylo. It doesn't. Methyl, it doesn't matter. It's not going to methylmalonic acidemia. It, that's and it's a genetic condition in which the body produces prop propionic acid, a compound that differs from ethylene glycol by one carbon atom. Yeah. See there. I mean, that's that's. Who would have thought that that's a thing? But it is a thing apparently. However, I do have to. I don't even think this is being devil's advocate. I think that it's just common sense uh, or what they thought was. They should have double checked things. They shouldn't have just automatically went with the first thing and not well, done extra tests to determine whether or not the, uh, things were correct the first time around. The thing I look at it in a place like this and, and to give them some credit in the small towns and all that kind of shit. Well, they did kind of. Well, let me finish my thought. Hearing... God damn it. <laughs> Stop interrupting me. Um, the thing, my brain doesn't think as fast as most people's because there's, there's good stuff brewing in there. It's just you got to give it like a oh, volcano. Okay. It's got to erupt right. slowly. Um, the thing about these small towns is like they probably see all kinds of, you know, uh, abuses and just your open and shut cases of abuse with children and rapes and murders and all that kind of stuff. So when something like this comes in to their courtroom, it's like, yeah, they did already have their mind made up. It looked pretty clean cut. 
you know, they they almost sent these tests off as a formality, I feel like, you know, because that's just how much their minds are made up. And so it was like, you can't really blame them to a certain extent because it's like what it's like what the uh, prosecutor said in uh, it was either forensic files I think it was forensic files when he was he was a, he apologized to yeah, he did uh, yeah to Patty and he's like I I had no other choice he's like there mm-hmm. I was presented with evidence and, and I had no other choice there was nothing else I could have done given and I believe yeah. that I I believe there was kind I of in that in that moment I believe there was kind of nothing else he could have done presented with the evidence that he was presented so it was kind of like. You know, damned if you do, damned if you don't type. type and it's thing. crazy to think that like she would literally still be in jail had it not been for the birth of her second yeah. child, where they found out that the second child had these same problems, but she was in jail. So how, you know, it's like, exactly. it's like the, uh, reminds me of the Unsolved Mysteries segment of the psychic lady who becomes like suddenly psychic and she um sees a vision of this murdered nurse mm-hmm. on uh, and she gets a vision of like where on the side of the road to find the body and and she tells police and police find the body and it's just too damn ironic and weird that she would know exactly where it was that they arrest yeah. they arrested her and if it had it not been for the fact that somebody else was murdered while she was in jail and it was like the same kind of mo she probably would have stayed in jail and, and become a scapegoat for for that. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, man, you just, at the end of the day, you do not want to get caught up in the legal system in any way, no. shape, or form, because it just no. sucks. So, well, I mean, sometimes it, it works and sometimes it doesn't suck. But yeah, I mean, it, you just really don't want to get caught up in it anyway. So, because there's a chance where you could end up getting on the wrong side of the gavel, so to speak. Um now, with this particular case on Forensic Files, there were some differences as well. They mentioned something that Unsolved Mysteries uh, did not mention, which I see why, because I don't really, it doesn't necessarily have a, it doesn't really tie into the case that much. And it would just, it could just be considered like assassination of character type thing, where apparently she had another son that was adopted by her sister. And it's because. The son was uh, showing symptoms of malnutrition and frostbite, and apparently this is a time when she was very poor and didn't have that much to provide to her son. Uh, but I, I think she learned from that and is not some monster who's just abusing her kids. Like I, I don't really buy that, but I think the prosecution was trying to go with that. The prosecution also used a. Uh, a, a tape recording of her response to her son dying, Ryan dying uh, on the phone. She was called by some worker, a social worker that told her the news. And apparently the prosecution is trying to argue that her response was, it was, it wasn't what they thought it would be because it wasn't like, in hysterics and tears and whatever she was just like i don't care about that right now i just want out of here so they interpreted that as oh she doesn't care and i could see why but that's kind of a (laughs) it's kind of a fucked up reaction if you think about it though it is a fucked up reaction i have to be honest but people react differently yeah it doesn't necessarily mean it's not necessarily an indicator of guilt it could just be she's just so overwhelmed with everything right now like she does care, but 
what came out of her mouth was like, I don't care because I want out of prison. I, I didn't well, do this. I want out of here. As someone who's been to jail and spent the night there and shit, um, not even being prison, I, I can tell you it, it is an absolutely awful experience. Not necessarily for, you know, the, 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 the hacky, stereotypical shit you hear, you know, oh, the butt rape and the, you know, getting shanked in the neck and all that. Dropping the soap. Yeah, yeah don't drop the soap. All that yeah. crap. No, it, it sucks for the simple fact. I mean, that shit sucks too, but that's like, you know, high level prison kind of shit. Yeah. It sucks in the sense of as people, most of us in America at least, we've ne you never are put somewhere where you can't leave. Like nothing in your power, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you can't leave this room we put you in. And that's what jail is. And yeah. you can't imagine it until you're in the situation, but it is it, it makes you panic at first because they shut the door and lock it and you're in that room. And you have to come to peace with the fact that you are in a room that you cannot leave. You can you can be like, I'm having the worst panic attack right now. I'm freaking the fuck out. You can beat on the door. The guards, unless you are dying and throwing up and just making a scene, they are not gonna open that door and let you out. And that is, nope. that is a shitty thing that, that you don't realize. You no. don't realize how bad it sucks until you're in that moment, man. Because, man, I was only in jail for like 12 hours. But uh, when I got out of there, dude, I was like, I had like a new lease on life. I was <laughs> just walking around outside of the jail by the pine trees and shit. I'm like, I'm free. Yeah. I appreciate nature. I appreciate the uh -huh. sun. You're like, it was, it was like... It was hilarious. Just how combine, just combine those feelings and that situation with the fact that you know that you're not guilty. Right. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong, and that your kid's dying or dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. It is. It's it's awful for sure. So the Stallings case was featured in Unsolved Mysteries, and biochemist William Sly of St. Louis University saw the episode. He agreed to test Ryan's blood. And he gave it to James Shoemaker, MD, director of the Metabolic Screening Lab at St. Louis University. Dr. Shoemaker immediately confirmed that Ryan had MMA. However, ethylene glycol is not a human metabolite, even in cases of MMA, and Patricia Stallings went to trial with no explanation linking MMA to ethylene glycol. Much later, after the case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries, Shoemaker asked prosecutor George McElroy for the methods that had been used to measure measure ethylene glycol in Ryan's blood. Now, they also convicted her of murder because of the fact that there was crystals that were in his brain that they found uh, after his autopsy that were the type of things that you would see after uh, ethylene glycol poisoning. And tragically, which you'll find out later, the, the reasoning why they were there is... It's the reason why he, uh, Ryan died, which is just makes it even more sad. So he does this test. So he goes in. The case of featured in Unsolved Mysteries. The method was used for uh, on blood uh, from Ryan and DJ. It was seen that propionic acid, which is produced in methyl methylmalonic acidemia, Causes a result of the careless a result caused a result that careless observers might mistake for ethylene glycol. So he did the test, used the same methods, and found that it wasn't ethylene glycol; it was uh, propionic uh, acid. Now, 
I, I like the guy they interviewed for uh, Forensic Files. Like he goes in and he was like, "This is garbage." <laughs> like he was like he was just looking at like the what the the evidence that the prosecutors had and that to say that it was ethylene glycol. That he just looks at it and he's like, "This was garbage." <laughs> I just love how like he was just so uh adamant yeah just just matter of fact just dismiss the shit you know this is trash. He's just like this this is trash um i don't know how they could have gotten this wrong it's like 30 uh uh points higher or something he showed things it was it was so obvious like the the, the forensic files really makes it even more obvious that they they really did fuck up like royally fucked up and in order to show that you could have two other people look at this this sample and also erroneously think that it was ethylene glycol poisoning uh one of the scientists sent a sample uh of uh i think it was like some uh something some i i'm trying to remember exactly what it was just sent them a sample of some kind of liquid and he put he put uh propionic acid in it and he sent it to these uh all these other different hospitals in st louis and like two or three out of the hospitals he sent uh, the sample to, they incorrectly uh, diagnosed that it was ethylene glycol poisoning. So that shows you that even though if you did like a couple, you sent the sample to two different places, you could still get the same wrong result. Yeah. Yeah. So is that is that about it for this case? Well, I mean, there there is some more uh, uh, sad news. Um, oh. uh, her, her, the, their son, David DJ, he actually passed away oh, man. in 2013. Why? Well, he had a very rare disorder that probably maybe might have uh, shortened his lifespan. But um, yeah, I just wanted to mention the thing that I didn't get to. Uh, because I was mentioned earlier, but I didn't actually finish uh, the story about the whole thing with uh, Ryan and how he died. It uh, Through Forensic Files, you find out that the reason why he probably died is not necessarily just because of MMA. It's because he was given a treatment f uh, by the hospital for ethylene glycol poisoning. And what they would do is they would uh, put into pump into his system a certain uh, uh, type of liquid. I think it was ethanol. And that is what caught, contributed to his death. So that makes it even more sad because what they were using to treat what they felt was wrong with him ultimately led to his death. Yeah. And all of this could have been avoided if he was diagnosed properly in the first place. Yeah, they said they pumped him full of ethanol. And I'm thinking like, that doesn't sound... That doesn't sound like something you should ever pump into somebody. Well, if they did have ethylene glycol poisoning, then yes, it, it does. That would help. But if you don't, no. <laughs> I wonder if that would like... That's not going to help. Because that's like alcohol, essentially. I wonder if that would like fuck yeah. you up if you got like a mad buzz off of that. Like you just got wasted before you died. Because if that's like... I don't uh, think you... I don't think you ever want to... Wanna, Want to know what that's nah, like? No, man, I'm sick of beer, man. It doesn't get me there fast enough. I want to start mainlining that shit right into the arteries, right into your, right up your ass. Well, yeah, uh, well, if that's what you're into, Mike, that's cool. No, I'm just saying. Like I've heard, like 
some people are like that's you get it gets uh through your system faster, man whoever whatever. had the first idea to stick anything drug related up their <laughs> ass i just don't know about that person <laughs> i really don't well you know the uh the prosecutor and well i'm not really necessarily blaming the prosecution but i would say there were a lot of people who had their head up their ass with this case yeah sure. i don't know it's just it's one of those really tragic freak cases where it's hard to... And what's also crazy is that the hospital that she went to to have things checked again, the hospital that was uh, used to get things checked, where, that her husband, that her second son was taken to, was the one that she was originally going to take Ryan to. And they correctly diagnosed that it was MMA. Huh. And she only went to the other children's hospital that incorrectly made the diagnosis because she got lost. So if she didn't get lost... None of this would have ever happened. That that is so, uh, just was it ser- fate. serendipitous? Is that the right thing? Sometimes fate. Sometimes fate truly can be a cruel mistress. <laughs> very yes, very well put, Mike. All right, up next we got the case of uh, this is not an unsolved mysteries case. Every now and then we do things that are an unsolved mysteries cases. Apparently, this was featured on a Netflix uh, documentary. I want to say, and it's the case. We like to mix it up. It's the Joseph Fritzl trial. And um, basically the headline of this article is she spent the first five years entirely alone. He hardly ever spoke to her. So we basically got a child called it shit going on here right now. If you've ever read that book. Um, We, for some sick reason, had to read it at my school. Don't know why. It was actually a good book. It was, what a child called it? Yeah, yeah. It was about a mom. I've never heard of that book. Yeah, it was about a mom who kept her. Uh, it was either her stepson or her actual son, like in the basement for like the first, I want to say, like many years of his development. And she basically treated him like an animal. And that sounds like uh, the film Bad Ronald, which is a TV movie from the seventies. And the kid was. Uh, he had some. Um, he had some disorders of some kind, like he was socially awkward, and he ended up killing a kid. Whoa. And then he was, a room was made for him by his mother inside the house, but behind the walls and stuff like that. So he was just left there, and then his mom died, and then he was just left in this uh, secret room in this house. He grew up uh, into uh, a teenager, pretty much a young adult all by himself, and then this other couple, this other uh, family moves in, and then there's this whole craziness that ensues. Yeah, that's kind of how the... Can you imagine that? No. That would be terrifying. No, I cannot. Knowing that there's somebody just living in your house that you don't know about, just just behind the walls. Yeah, I thought that for a while here at my house. It turned out it was a possum. (laughs) Which is long gone at this point, I might add. I haven't heard from that thing in forever kind of sad really because i made a big deal about it but now i'm kind of miss his company just kidding i don't miss it if you're listening you son of a bitch possum (laughs) so let's get into this article here how it began it had seemed an innocent enough request could she help him hoist a door into its frame elizabeth fritzel allowed her father down into the bowels of the cellar that had had building that that he had been building for months in the garden beneath the family home. It was a hot day in August 1984, a month in which Prince released his hit Purple Rain. The space shuttle Discovery took off on its maiden voyage, 
and the country of Upper Volta changed its name to Burkina Faso. See, in articles like this with this kind of like lofty writing, it's like, okay, you know, you're trying to paint a picture, but just... What does this have to do with Right, what is that, you know, stop being cheeky and let's get to the, let's get to the meat and potatoes here. Elizabeth... But some people probably say that about her podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, theguardian.com. I apologize for what I just said. <laughs> for the air of my ways. Anyway... Elizabeth climbed down the stairs into the cellar and helped him fix the door in the dusty confines of his underground creation. As she turned to leave, a piece of cloth soaked in ether was held over her mouth and nose, and her world went dark. Holy shit. Possibly forever. It was a deeply cruel start to an unbelievably cruel deed. How Elizabeth have known that she was how could she have known that she was helping her own father install the final building block to his plans to lock her up as his sex slave wow <laughs> strap yourself in folks we're going on a bumpy ride fritzel had been planning what was effectively a dungeon for years receiving official permission to construct his cellar complex as far back as the late 1970s official permission so like they weren't even like questioning what he was doing Right. Was he just like, it, no, it's a wine cellar. I'm just, I just, just, uh, it's, that's all it is. I like, I, I like fine wine and. You know, people are allowed to build cellars, you know, I guess if you yeah, get the permits and shit. So, you know. So it was not difficult to get officials to approve the underground constructions. It was at the height of the Cold War. And this, after all, was Lower Austria, which during those tense and heady, heady days, and world affairs found itself on the frontier with the Soviet Union. Nuclear bunkers were seen as an even more normal and necessary addition to an Austrian home than a conservatory or a kitchen extension might be viewed in Britain. The local council had given him a grant of a couple of thousand pounds towards the building costs. They gave him a grant? <laughs> go fucking figure. <laughs> Neighbors had observed with some intrigue as the electrical engineer hired a digger, which sat in his garden at... Ebestrasse <laughs> 40 in the tidy town of Amstetten for months. Okay, so this Austria, they speak German, so. That is a crazy name. Ebestrasse 40 in the tidy town of Amstetten for months. And Garden, this uh, Guardian is a British newspaper, so Garden means front yard, basically, or yard. For, for American oh, listeners. Oh, okay, yeah. so it's not, it's not like... No, it's not okay. tomatoes and shit. That, that, that means yard. All right. So they watched as he tossed tons of earth from beneath the house and shifted it in a wheelbarrow to make way for the rooms that he planned to build. A precise planner, he had thought of every last detail, securing concrete and steel supplies through contacts at construction companies where he had previously worked. There were initially two access points, a heavy hinged door and a metal door reinforced with concrete operable via a remote control device. Some fucking high-tech shit. James Bond shit yeah, over for the here. World War whatever. A total of eight doors had Cold War. Oh, Cold War. There you go. A total of eight doors had to be opened before reaching the purpose-built cellar. This is like some what was that show um that start that old show in the seventies that started out with him walking through all those different doors. Oh, get get smart. Wasn't that it? Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Or the dun, da, da, this is like da, some doomsday. Yeah, this is like some doomsday preppers shit right here. So and then the doomsday he was preparing was uh, his own daughter's doomsday. 
Well put, Mike. Very, very, very cinematic wording there. It was easy enough to instigate. Elizabeth had threatened to run away many times. More than once, she had been hauled back to the family home by the police or her father, once getting as far as the big city, Vienna, with a girlfriend. So when Elizabeth disappeared from one day to the next, he told friends and family she had run off to join a sect. They all believed him. In reality, she was living under their feet, beneath the garden where he and the rest of the family enjoyed barbecues wow. in the summer. Years later, when he expanded the underground accommodation, he built a swimming pool upstairs as a cover-up for the amount of earth he was having to drag up. Later, when they splashed in the pool, the family did so wow. above Elizabeth's prison. <sighs> Life underground. Over the next 24 years, the horror for Elizabeth was unrelenting. The cold, the damp, the rats, which she was sometimes forced to catch with her bare hands. Ooh. The water that ran off the walls in such large quantities, she had to use towels to soak it up. Well, I mean, she had towels down there, at least. It couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> Summer. Don't even go. I'm just joking. I gotta add some, some levity to I this. Would, I, yeah, well... Summer, when the place turned into an intolerant, sweaty sauna, was the worst time of year, she would later write in a calendar. During those years, Mikhail Gorbachev called for Periostraka and Glasnost. Chernobyl's nuclear reactor blew up. DNA first came in to use to convict okay. criminals. The Berlin Wall fell. There was Tiananmen Square, the release of Nelson Mandela, the LA riots after the beating of Rodney King. O.J. Simpson was arrested for murder. Rwanda, Diana, Princess of Thanks Wales died. Thanks for the died. history lesson, Kate <laughs> Connolly. <laughs> the euro was introduced. Mad cow disease. Slobin Malesic went on trial. A tsunami devastated Asia, not to mention all of the inventions and technological developments from the mobile phone to the internet. Jesus, why was any of that necessary in this article? <laughs> Good Lord. I guess they're trying to convey the passing of Add time. some context. Yeah, like... But really, you could have just said for everyone else, the world kept on spinning while Elizabeth stood still and stagnant. Yeah, That's all you much. really needed to say. <laughs> Which is what they went on to say. For everyone else, the world kept on spinning while Elizabeth stood still and stagnant. Yeah, there you go. Done. Yep. At first, Fritzl <laughs> strapped up her arms and then tied them behind her back with an iron chain, which he then Fuck secured. Which he then secured to metal posts behind her bed. She I want to strangle his ass with that chain. <laughs> she could only move approximately half a meter either side of the bed. After two days, he gave her more freedom of movement by attaching the chain around her waist. Then, about six to nine months into her imprisonment. He removed the metal chain because, quote, it was hindering his sexual activity with his daughter, end quote, oh. according to the Ooh. indictment. He sexually... Oh. All right, Mike, contain yourself. <laughs> I'm trying to get through this article. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just... I'm, I'm, all, I'm human. He sexually abused and raped her sometimes several times a day from the second day of her incarceration right up until her release in April 2008. She was released in 2008, oh, so that was, like, her whole life, like, 20, 30 years. I, I myself feel abused reading that sentence. Like, yeah. I feel her, uh, uh, molested of the mind right then. having Mental to, molestation. Even having yeah. to think about that. Um, totally. Over the course of nearly a quarter of a century, 
he would rape her at least 3,000 times. Or just fuck this what guy. Fuck? Really? Resulting in seven babies who themselves uh. had to watch as the abuse uh. as they grew older. They had to watch the abuse as they grew. This is unbelievable. That's why I'm laughing because this is unbelievable. This is not. I can't. I can't even laugh at that. I'm like sorry. it's just like, my natural just, reaction. I'm sorry, but that's just. I'm just in shock. Like this is. <laughs> three of these children were to stay underground, never seeing daylight until their release in April of last year. Three others mysteriously appeared on the doorstep of Fritzel and his wife Rosemarie in their home in Amsterdam, west of Vienna, abandoned. Amsterdam. Amstetten. No, that's right. Amstetten. So Fritzel told the community by Elizabeth, who had delivered them to him and Rosemarie from her sect, to be brought up as the Fritzel's own, and all without arousing Rosemarie's suspicions or those of the Austrian authorities. So he was basically saying, my daughter who ran away to join this crazy sect, um, uh, she abandoned these kids on our doorstep, so, you know, we're going to have to raise them as our own. A devoted father. Fritzel dictated letters to her, which she wrote from her prison, driving sometimes miles in his car to post them back to his wife, Rosemarie. In them, Elizabeth explained that she was well, but could not wow. look after the children. Oh, my goodness. This is probably the darkest thing we've ever covered on here. In reality, she was torn at being separated from her children, but happy that her quote-unquote upstairs offspring would at least have a better life than those languishing downstairs. One of the children, a twin called Michael, died shortly after his birth in the cellar in 1996. He had severe breathing difficulties and expired in his mother's arms when he was just 66 hours old. Fritzel admitted that he subsequently burned the baby's body in an incinerator. But until his admission during his trial I this week... I throw him in an incinerator. He always denied that he was responsible for the murder through negligence. Quote, I don't know why I didn't help, end quote, he told the court. I just overlooked it. I thought the little one would survive. Well, I don't know. It's in a cellar. You probably don't give them much food and water. She probably might not have been that healthy to begin with. I, you know, if you knew the baby was sick, maybe you could have taken him to the hospital. Or but not you can't built do that. a rape dungeon. That, that yeah. is another thing you could have not yeah, done. That's another thing you could not have done. I mean, and none of this would ever happen. Yeah. Uh, you could have offed yourself and just saved this whole you thing. Put your head in the fucking incinerator. <laughs> Incinerated the thoughts of building a rape dungeon along with it. Until Wednesday, Fritzel had also denied enslavement. His lawyer, Rudolf Meyer, tried to explain Fritz's decision to imprison his daughter and force her to submit to his every He had a whim. lawyer that was actually really defending this shit? Hey, man, that's why lawyers are said to be some of the e most evil people, or they can also be some of the best people, because they will they, they will defend people that they know are guilty because they want to get paid, and they'll get them off. I mean, some people might say O.J. Simpson was one of those cases, but I don't want to compare him to a rape dungeon, though. But he did murder somebody, which is also yeah, pretty did. bad. Anyway, or he might not have murdered him. Whatever, people, I'm not, I'm not getting into O.J. Simpson. Oh, come on, he did. <laughs> it's not even... Yeah, probably so. Fritzel's, uh, Fritzel's original defense for how it all began was that Elizabeth was a wayward child and that he was only trying to protect her by locking her away from the outside world. Drugs, drink, and bad company had threatened to drag her down, he argued. 
his lawyer. Yeah. Okay. She she might be in in if she if, if this was a case of a uh, troubled youth, a wayward youth who needed some help in terms of getting off the drugs or whatever. You don't build a fucking dungeon to do it. And t- that's not how you send them to rehab. Mike, Mike, that, that might be the understatement of the century right there. When your child is acting up, you do not build a rape dungeon. I, I, I think that that can go down in the Guinness World Records of the understatement of all time. Um, his lawyer tried to paint him as a caring man who spent time and money maintaining both of his families. He even took a Christmas tree down into the dungeon, said Mayor. And, and school books. An aquarium, even a canary, in what now seems like a sick joke. Who gives a shit? (laughs) He said the canary's ability to survive was proof that the air in the cellar could not have been that bad after all. I mean, this lawyer was real. This lawyer was like... He's about as much of a scumbag as as the the guy he's defending. Well, if if you look at... they, They had a canary in the cellar, so the air must not have been that bad. I mean, this man was not as bad as you say he was, yeah. Throughout her cap, would he would he have also defended Hitler? Would he? Well, this guy d- probably d- would have defended Hitler. That depends how much money are we talking. First of all, uh, how many Deutschmarks? Uh, Hitler, you know, he built roads for the tanks, and then later people used them. The folk used the roads. So anyway, throughout her captivity, he repeatedly threatened Elizabeth by saying, quote, if you do not do as I say, your treatment will get worse and you will not escape from the cellar anyway. Well, yeah, that, that's a caring, loving man. He re- that's a wonderful father, he, isn't that? He repeatedly beat and kicked her. He also subjected her to humiliating sexual abuse, including forcing her to reenact scenes from violent pornographic films. Wow. The abuse left her with serious, lasting physical injuries and psychological yeah. damage. Well, I would think so. I, I would think so. The psychological damage might be even argu- arguably even worse than the physical damage. Like I that, mean, when those somebody are scars and wounds that will never heal. When somebody is that fucked over by another human being and they do make it through, it's like it, it is. Is it even? This sounds. This is just going off like off my head here. Like, is it even worth living at that point with how fucked up you're going to be for the rest of your life? Can you saw the darkest side of human nature? You experienced it firsthand. It's going to be really hard for you to have trust in humans again, in in other people, or have any normal relationship. Or yeah, uh, but I don't know, man. Like, there's a part of the human brain that's all about survival, and I'm sure she yeah. found something in that life that was yeah happiness or content. Maybe not happiness, but contentment. Whether it was a blanket or her her basement children or whatever it was i'm i'm sorry i have to use humor to make light of shitty situations it's how i cope um no they really were i mean they were born in the basements so i don't their basement see children, how that's you know, wrong. i mean calling it kind of as i see it here um so she spent the first five years entirely alone he hardly ever spoke to her i mean that right there will fuck you up yeah I think they found a kid that uh, had been uh, denied human contact. This is a, a, an entirely different story. The uh-huh. kid had been denied human contact, and um, up until the age of like I don't know ten or something, and the kid was like per- like permanent. 
Yeah, like, I watched a documentary about that on a, in a sociology class. I'm trying to remember what her name was. Yeah, but like I think it was a girl. Like the, they, the child was not able to like uh-huh. learn a language and shit. Like the brain, that part of the brain like died or something. They tried to get her to learn some stuff, and they weren't really able to get it to figure it out. Actually, they were making progress, but then the state took away the funding. Oh, jeez. Uh, for the so it, it's actually I forgot exactly what documentary it was, but it's it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, the, the Nazis also did an experiment where they would, they had these kids, they had, uh, they had, uh, newborns and they had, uh, they had a room where the babies were given everything that they needed, like attention and food and all of that. And then in the other room, they just gave the babies food and they gave them no attention. And all of the babies in the room where they were given no attention died. Yeah. Well, that, that they had the food. And the and and the and the water and all of that and all those other amenities, but they did not have human contact. Well, this this also they could not um, survive. Th- th- there's plants. You know, there's a study with plants where they uh, they have three plants. They have a plant that they complement, like they verbally say compliments <laughs> to, and tell it good things. Yeah, dude, I've been saying they have a plant that they yelled insults at, and then they had a plant that they ignored, and the plant that was complimented flourished, and then the one that was ignored did the worst. I, I don't know about that one because I want to see another uh, controlled experiment like that. Because like, if you, for example, people who plant all different types of plants in their backyard and the front yard, they're not constantly going out there and being like, "Oh, you're a good plant." Like. That they just water them, go back in the house, and just watch TV. That that I mean, it's like what? How? I, you're basically still ignoring the plant. You're you're giving it water, and 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 it gets sunlight. That that's about it. I mean, I don't know about that one, but yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, getting back to the article here, the babies were company, is the title of the uh, yeah. this part. Then the babies started to come. They were a horror for her, but they also provided her with longed-for company and a purpose to live after years in which she had mm-hmm. contemplated suicide. The births, over 12 years, all took place without any medica- medical help. To, pre- pre- pain. to prepare for them, her father provided her with disinfectant, a dirty pair of scissors, and a 1960s book on childbirth. This is like the worst made-up saw like horror movie shit you could imagine but this is reality yeah unbelievable fritzel often threatened elizabeth and her children warning them that if they tried to escape they would be killed the indictment said quote he told them he had installed a system so that the doors would give them electric shocks if they tried to open them and that poison would be released into the cellar if they tried to escape killing them all instantly so this is exactly like saw shit uh the movie saw He would punish her by switching off all the power to the cellar for days at a time, so she was left alone in total darkness. She cried as the freezer he later installed, um, as as he later installed, so that he could stockpile food while he went away on holiday. Defrosted and leaked its contents onto the floor. This motherfucker goes on holiday. On her already horrendously damp prison. A way out. He goes on holiday while his daughter is is locked yes, away. Yes, yes, Mike. We get it. We, we get the irony. Of, we don't have to keep pointing out, out all the ironies of. He's a piece of shit. I I understand. 
<laughs> That's my way of coping. I, That's how I cope with it. I, I know, but... Sorry. A way out. <laughs> the end of her ordeal came last April when Kirsten, her 19-year-old daughter, became gravely ill. Fritzel, not known for his mercy in the past, put her in his Mercedes... Mercedes?! And drove her to the hospital. Sorry, now I'm reacting. Yeah, see? It's hard not to. There, the doctors became deeply suspicious of the deadly pale creature with bad teeth who lay dying in intensive care. Oh, yeah, that's another thing we failed to mention. All these kids are inbred Mm -hmm. because he fucked his own daughter and had a kid from that. So they're inbred. So who knows what kind of problems they have in that that regard. Mm Mm-hmm. Repeated media appeals were broadcast for the mother to come forward with information that was necessary if they were going to have any chance of saving her life. Elizabeth and her two boys viewed the appeals on the television in their cellar. Well, they had a TV in their cellar, so again, not as bad as they're saying. I'm just kidding. I am just kidding, everybody. Chill out. She pleaded with her father to let her out. His powers waning, his ability to keep two families sustained reducing by the day as he aged, and his heart grew weaker. He had already begun to hatch a plan as to how he could release his daughter without too many questions being asked. He relented, perhaps for the first time ever. He told the hospital the family had appeared on his doorstep having escaped from their sect. But the doctors and police did not believe his story this time around. At the hospital, Elizabeth was whisked into a room away from her father where police threatened to charge her with child abuse because of the way she had clearly neglected her daughter. God, adding insult to injury. Elizabeth said she had a completely different tale from the one they expected to hear. She would start to tell them only on condition they promised her she would never have to set eyes on her father again. Well, with her mother, I mean, that's got to be something that the, that's that's rough on the mother because she didn't know anything about that. She was under the assumption that her daughter was just off and away somewhere, uh, a part of some sect. And she was okay because she was getting letters, but they were all written by her twisted piece of shit, cock-sucking, douchebag, motherfucking father. <laughs> Don't hold back, Mike. Don't hold back. Uh, so guys just that's Joseph Fritzel. That's all we have for right now. I I just posted the uh, full length movie. I found it off of YouTube. I haven't had time to like vet it yet, but it just said full length movie, so I'm hoping that it's wow. halfway decent on here. Um, it's also on Netflix. Joseph Fritzel story of a monster. So if you want to, um, if you have Netflix. I think I'll wait to watch that. I think this this article was enough of a shock to the system. I think I'll have to wait a little bit. So, yeah, that's, the, uh, uh, you know, there, there are people like that in the world, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, that shit that happened, um, was on the news a few years ago. Some, some, wasn't that that woman, she went missing, they're uh, smart. I think her last name was Elizabeth Smart. Yeah, she dis, she went missing. She escaped. For, yeah. With a, and there was a few other girls too, and they were all like these sex slaves and. They, just, they were right next door, you know? Yeah. My God, man. What the fuck? This podcast, it, it shows me ugly sides of the world that I don't normally think about, which I guess is important, you know? So, the dark side of human nature. So you know that it's not all peaches and fucking candy canes and shit. And cream? Nope. It's not all peaches and cream. Um, the world can be a very mean and nasty place. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. 
Um, all right, before we end the podcast, I'm going to tell you a little bit about one of your listeners because, uh, you know, it's, it's important to keep the community informed. And um, to, tonight we're going to be telling you a little bit about a story that Miss Katie Stanko told me. Uh, Katie, is that your real last name? If, if so, then um, it's awesome. Um, no, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. What, what origin is Stanko? I don't know. Anyway, um, so she told me a story about uh, something that happened to her a while back, and, and it was so unbelievable, and she confided in me. She said, please don't, you know, say this on the podcast, but um, I, guys, I can't help myself. You know, as soon as I'm told I can't do something, I, I go in the opposite direction. So basically, she was on this luxury cruise liner back in the day, very fancy cruise liner. Um, and she was kind of well-to-do and, and she was kind of, you know, almost in this arranged marriage type deal with this also well-to-do guy. But as she's on the ship, she meets this kind of rapscallion, this, this, this troublemaker from a, who essentially sneaked onto the, the ship. And I mean, it's kind of, it was kind of like, you know, uh, other side of the track story, you know, she, she fell for him and was drawn into him, allured by his charm, yet his, um, you know, devil-may-care attitude. And um, so they they begin a romance, and uh, it's kind of this um, torrid affair because she's the, the fancy boy that she was supposed to marry just isn't doing it for her. So she continues this toward affair with this guy, this rapscallion. We'll uh, we'll call him Jack, and they're on this ship just having a damned old time. And the ship uh, one night comes into some bad weather, and it strikes an iceberg. Uh, guys, I mean, I I I, I don't want to say it, you know, but um, the ship starts to sink. I mean, this really happened, and. She goes down with the ship, her and Jack. And they're in the water. And, and this is in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific or somewhere. I don't remember where, what ocean she specified. But uh, it's, it was really cold water. I mean, there was ice chunks in the fucking water to make it cold even. You know, so you know, when there's ice chunks in the water, it's cold. And, um, you know, they're on like this floating door trying to like stay afloat. And even though there was a perfectly sufficient amount of space for both of them on this floating door. Uh, she lets Jack go into the icy water and he dies. And um, then the lifeboats come and, and save her. And um, yeah, so now she's here today because of that. Um, was it like second degree murder? Was it negligent homicide? Perhaps. But I don't want to dog her out on that too hardcore. But, I mean, you know, I'm glad she's still alive at least. I guess it's good you're alive, Katie. That Jack's dead. But, hey, at least you survived. So I hope you're happy. Anyway, that's a completely true story. Or maybe it's not, but it probably is. I don't know. If you'd like a completely, uh, totally true story to be... Sounds familiar. Sounds uh, like I don't think uh... so. Uh, I don't think so, Mike. Actually, actually, I don't think it sounds familiar, and I think I don't really. Sounds like a story from history. Uh, don't really like the implications there, Mike. Uh, honestly, if I'm being honest, I don't like the implications <laughs> that you're calling me a liar. So, 
I could do a little, <laughs> little bit with, with less of that. Would be appreciated. But consider donating to our Patreon account if you'd like your own uh, story read on the uh, podcast. Patreon.com slash Uncovering Explained Mysteries. Uh, I am I am like depleted, dude. My brain is gone at this point. I have read too much. I've done too much. I've seen too much. I am starving. I I'm just defeated. If you'd like to check out me and Mike separately, but always oh so equally, you can find us on our our respective YouTube channels. Mike's YouTube channel is YouTube.com/OCPCommunications. He covers movies mainly. Uh, what was the last movie you reviewed, Mike? Uh, still Ready Player One, but I posted a, uh, video, well, it's a podcast with another friend of mine. We talked about what we feel to be some underrated sequels, and, uh, up next will be some Laura Croft Tomb Raider reviews, so be on the lookout for those. There should be a couple that will be posted sometime, uh, well, by the time this is posted, they should already be up. Mike, I think your friend Matt outrants you when it comes to being pissed off at movies. Oh, he does. He's great. He's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love how you just openly admit that. Uh, anyway, you can find my YouTube channel by searching youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. The last video I did um, was I took the Nintendo GameCube and due to advancements in technology... They've come up with an adapter where you can get a good, true HD signal out of your GameCube, broadcasting your games in a beautiful 480p display, uh, which looks a thousand times better than the native AV out display that most people are used to. So if you want to see a side-by-side -side comparison of 22 Nintendo GameCube games in a high definition, not true 1080p. And it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, it's a huge... Some, some of the games on there were like significantly better looking like like the star star wars rogue squadron and smugglers run and super mario sunshine those are like night and day difference between the sick the, the signal like some of them were like slight improvements but others were like oh my god that looks like it's on a, like an xbox 360 or ps3 or something um but nope your nintendo gamecube could put out a lot better signal than um what they uh what they what came with most people's consoles, which is crazy because the anyway, I won't nerd out too much of that. So if you're interested in that shit, go look at my channel. Uh, anyway, for me and Mike, that's all the time we got for tonight. Have a good rest of your night and I'll see you next week. See ya. What's up, everybody? Josh here. Just wanted to let everyone know that my new album, The Nightmare Inside You, is now available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. Thank you for any and all support. It means the world to me.